0: They shoot the shit, they shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot 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 shit, shit, shit. shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. It's August 2020 now as of when we're recording this. So uh yeah, we've been locked down for a while and we're continuing to try to talk to Awesome friends and other people uh, from the internet and keep ourselves sane and keep you guys sane with cool content. Before I get to my special guests today, I'd like to thank my $15 or more month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price and Collaborating Online and my newest patron Matthew Williams. Um, this episode, is a lot of episodes Our is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week, hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And with that, um, one of my $15 or more a month patrons, Alex Peregrine, is Back here again today, this time to talk about something really interesting and different than the normal content on the show. So, Alex, reintroduce yourself to the interwebs.
1: I'm I'm Alex. I'm a person on Earth, I guess.
0: As far and, as we can tell.
1: Yeah. And so what I'm going to talk about is... Back in 2007, I went on a trip with an, or, an organization called Birthright Israel. And what they do is they sponsor trips for young people to go to Israel, take a cultural heritage tour, and talk about issues.
0: That's fascinating. And I, like I've told you before we started recording, I've had a few friends um, from high school. Uh, I went to a Catholic high school. Um, or at least junior high in ninth grade and got myself out of there because of, um, issues with the education there. But we did, um, some art projects and some co-sponsored get togethers with kids from the Cohen Hillel, um, Jewish Academy, um, in the, uh, neighboring town of the And so a few of my friends from that, um, have taken this similar trip. And I, you know, when you're a 17 year old and someone says it, you don't go, oh, let's sit down for an hour and talk about it. I want to know, um, You know, but uh, I am fascinated and uh, very interested in hearing how that went. So, uh, um, so in 2007. So, how old were you when you went on the trip?
1: I was 24 years old, and at the time, they had a an age limit of 25. They've since upped it to 32. Probably. I was going to
0: say, yeah. Um, you, (laughs) a lot of kids can't. So, so does this happen? Like, how long's the trip?
1: Okay, the trip is. For a week and for
0: a week and is this a um is this a like a i i won't call it a requirement requirement sounds wrong, but is this like a a common um trip is this like a every every um child brought you know that you know, it, or is it like a you know more popular thing recently like how does it how does it work out like that?
1: So. I'm not sure about the details of who gets chosen to go on the trip. I kind of get the impression this is probably a middle class and higher thing rather than necessarily an access to everybody. But their only requirements is that pretty much you just need to have come from a Jewish family, I think, because they ask a whole bunch about your congregation and your history with it. So what, um,
0: outside of, you know, the, the interests in history and like where you come from and all of that, what, uh, was this something that you had been thinking about doing for a while or did it just come up as a, Oh, that would be interesting.
1: Okay. I'll tell the story of how this trip went just from beginning to end. Sure. So it's 2007 at that point, I was suffering from pretty severe depression. I had been languished in college, kind of not really going to classes for three years, just kind of treating it as basically just living by myself in self-imposed squalor, really. Mm -hmm. And so I was not really having the best relation with my family. And my dad at some point, because I think he was donating to this organization for some period of time before he just approached me with the idea of, hey, you do you want to go on this trip? And thing is that he would often suggest things to me, probably kind of expecting, I would say no, because he was a lawyer and he seemed to really just like arguing for cases even when not in the courtroom.
0: Oh yeah, I know so, that type.
1: But so my logic was... Basically, I'm not in kind of have an adversarial relation with them and with my parents. And I kind of figured because I would get I would not be allowed to have a summer vacation, really. There would just be kind of the expectation that I would either be in school or or working, although I only ever held one summer job ever but anyway so i kind of figured well here's a vague here's essentially a week-long thing it's awkwardly placed in the summer it does kind of cohen it conflicts with a big period of the possible summer school i could be taking and also i figured i would get some social capital out of going on this mm-hmm. trip and so i said yes to it which My dad was certainly a bit surprised at that, but he went with it. And and one thing I actually got out of the trip was actually because I had wanted to go to New York, which was where the group was meeting at, I think, LaGuardia or JFK. And I actually convinced them to send me to New York two days early so that I could be a tourist there and i'm go because there's not really a whole lot of conflict in that part of the trip if we have time I'll return back there okay so um when i went to the airport to meet with the birthright group i mean i linked up with the group and i don't know if this was a birthright person or if this was some Israeli custom person, but I actually had to be interviewed and asked a whole lot of questions about my background with Judaism, my congregation, my rabbi, and all of that. And the thing is that I hadn't actually been a practicing Jew really since my bar mitzvah. And even then, my bar mitzvah was, again, me as a 13-year-old trying to get social capital, really.
0: (laughs) Right. That was 11 years prior, right?
1: (laughs) Yep. And so I kind of, I mean, I answered the questions, but I probably came across as maybe a bit shifty because I didn't really believe in them. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I was initially let through. I went with my group. And thing is that while at the gate... I actually got pulled aside along with a couple other people to be asked further questions, which I don't remember the content of those questions, but they seem to just be repeating themselves. And I was given my, well, I was given a passport back. And thing is that there is also this one Russian woman that was there as well and so I put my ticket in my passport and then I just noticed hey wait where's my ticket?" and I was just ruffling through my bags looking for it and I did not notice that I had been given this Russian woman's passport until she approached me to trade with me because I am a very observant person yep okay so um yeah, we flew over there, and I'm not a I wasn't able to figure out the exact itinerary that I went on, but I think I have a pretty good idea because I'm pretty sure that we landed close to the border at. I guess I did not write down the airport, but the northeast border and I remember the bus ride from the airport going to our kind of settlement. I guess it was kind of a kind of a bunch of bedrooms and then one kind of classroom looking building, just kind of not out in the middle of nowhere, but there was really people not associated with the group within sight of us. Right. And I remember
0: like a dormitory kind of thing, but just for you. Yeah. And
1: I remember on the bus ride, they were pointing out that you could see over the border into other countries, which I think were either Lebanon or Jordan. And okay. Because I had a child's understanding of Middle East relations, and I had thought of just the possibility, hey, wait, what's stopping someone from just shooting over the border at us? And I think someone else asked that question. And the tour guide actually kind of had a fatalistic view of it of just, well, if that happens, then I guess that happens.
0: <laughs> Which oh,
1: jeez. Which I found kind of a bit off-putting, but I think at the same time, it's just... I don't think this was a common occurrence at all, to the point where... er, they... But anyway, something I kind of noticed immediately. Well, for some context, I actually had been to Israel before in 1994 at age 11. Because because my family, for a couple years running, my family went on international vacations, such as that trip was France and then Israel. The year after was Scotland and England and such. But this was certainly my first solo trip pretty much anywhere and definitely my first solo international trip. Solo in just the sense that I don't have my family with me. Right. But. Anyway. Israel, due to its climate, has kind of this really oppressive heat to it that just kind of saps your energy. And that's so something I and many others felt or just kind of basically. If we weren't actively doing something, everyone just wanted to sleep. (laughs) And so, just to get kind of a sense of, well, actually, I wrote these notes, but already I'm realizing I have skipped details. Okay. Okay. Something that I had thought of making a priority for this trip was because I was just kind of like just kind of a in a social weirdo was the idea of well here's an opportunity I can try and be sociable meet people make friends and such and because I was a 24 year old child I Thought that part of that also meant that I had to basically present myself better than I usually did. Mm-hmm. So, I actually... I don't know how I actually got these through customs, but I actually brought a bunch of grooming products with me. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyway. Hey. I had thought I would do that, but... Then just due to me having social anxiety and such, I ended up just sitting in the back of the bus and just playing my Nintendo DS for a lot of the trip.
0: Yeah, that's what I'd be doing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> had the new, had the new Star Fox game for. It. It's the one where you have to use the stylus to control the direction of the r wing. Yep. But so. Anyway, we took the bus, just went to this settlement or whatever, and I think the settlement was close to a small village because I'm pretty sure that we did actually tour that, but not really tour so much. Just kind of bring a bunch of bring a bunch of teenagers and early twenty something teenagers and let them loose then place but anyway the next day we were going hiking and minor mountain climbing not really Mm -hmm. ones that required ropes and such but still having to scale cliffs uh scale eight foot cliffs or something and one thing i well something that Became immediately appearances because this is close to the border. There were anti-vehicle minefields just everywhere, oh. and they were labeled. They had fencing labels, and they gave out maps of where these are. And I was kind of initially confused at the idea of what's the point of a minefield if everyone knows where it is, but. The actual reason for it is just to control in a land invasion, control where they can come from. Yep. And someone, I think a tour guide actually mentioned, in just the question of what happens if we step on them, and they said, well, it is calibrated to just detonate at vehicle weight, so you may or may not be fine, but occasionally a cow wanders in there, (laughs) and oh boy a, and i guess a cow is just heavy enough
0: <laughs> yeah an ex cow as it were
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the now that morning again because i had really dumb ideas about how to be sociable i had skipped breakfast because of wanting to just preen myself. And I lied about having ate something. Multiple people asked me, did I eat anything? And I lied about that because I was also just kind of overweight and wanted to do my childish idea of handling that, which was maximize my exercise such as this is. By not having any calories. Yep. Anyway, that went about as well as you'd expect. About halfway through I just crashed. I um, oh. and this is in the middle of this mountain range. And there aren't most of it isn't accessible by vehicles, mines or not. And so oh, I'm I'm just dead tired, really struggling to even move. And I have some tour guides just with me basically trying to shepherd me to where they can get a vehicle. And that was certainly an experience, having just moments of drinking a lot of water, but just kind of finding it difficult to swallow some of it, so I end up spitting some of it back out. And eventually I worked up enough energy to get to where a vehicle was, and then for the rest of that day, I just spent it at the back of the bus with a bus driver who wasn't really actually supposed to be a babysitter. And and I... One funny detail I remember quite clearly is that this bus had a TV just at the front of it, and the bus driver was playing a Yanni concert on it. Uh,
0: oh, no. So, yeah, what, what did you do during you on your trip? I nearly died from dehydration, and they nursed me back to health by showing me Yanni.
1: Yeah. Not quite dehydration, just from yeah starvation, I guess. Or just having to be abandoned on the mountain. Oh, yeah. But anyway, I... So... They... I may or may not have been fine if I just ate properly for the rest of the trip, but I kind of already didn't want to be there. And when the opportunity was presented of just, well, we can't just leave you with the bus driver while we go hiking in places, they had presented basically the possibility that I could just go home. And I said yes to that, and and the and so I was basically dropped off at the international airport there, and and so I'm just checking to make sure I didn't skip over anything Um, before. Before I had left for that, I mean, the, sec- the morning of the second day, we, after I had slept for about, I don't know, 14 hours cumulatively, including two times I woke up in the morning, kind of walked around, and then just went back to sleep. That I also remember one of our tour guides had actually mentioned the very first time she had visited Israel. She had slept for most of the time. Yeah. So. Um. We had kind of this round table thing in the classroom looking building. That was, I don't remember the exact content of it, but it was something about Judaism as just kind of people's experiences with it and, and that was, there's just something kind of uncomfortable about basically just being the one or at the very least, the one you know about person that's just faking it.
0: Right. Right. Especially when that's what the whole trip is about. it, it when you already have, um, like, I, I know that I would when you already have issues with social anxiety and feeling different and lesser than the group. The minute you are surrounded by people that, as far as you know, are 100 percent on board with this and you're like, oh, now I stand out even more.
1: Yeah. And luckily, I did not I do not get to further group activities. Well, I guess just kind of something else to mention is that. I have a relative that actually did finish this trip, and I'll talk about her experiences after I get through mine, okay so on the well one detail I remember, just further adding to the disappointment of this trip was this trip was also when i when I played the game Kingdom Heart's Chain of Memories. Which was kind of my first inclination of, hey, wait, this series might not be very good. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I just kind of remember sitting in the airport playing that, just kind of feeling, you know, I am really miserable right now. <laughs> but, but anyway, the flight back to New York, there were multiple babies on this flight. Also, something else I noticed was just that there are a lot of, I think, Hasidic Jews on this flight. Mm -hmm. and But anyway, there were multiple babies. And by my perception, it kind of felt like they were tag-teaming each other to who is crying and being fussy. Just kind of the idea that one of them... Their lungs are about to give out. They're crawling to the side ropes. Their buddy is there with their hand out, and then they high five. And then when that one starts screaming, <laughs> I did not get any sleep on that flight. Ugh. So I, I arrived back in New York, and I just have my flight back to Chicago. Oh, uh, It's in New York. It's I think I arrived at 6.30 a.m. or something, and they did not have enough customs agents in, so I had to stand in this crowded room with no access to a bathroom or water or anything for at least half an hour. And, And of course, it's one of those things where in the context of this pandemic, it makes you... Thinking back on it, even more anxious because there was also no room to not be breathing in five other people's coughs. Oh, yeah. But eventually I got through customs and I had a flight with Southwest Airlines, which seems like product placement, except it's definitely not going to be shortly. <laughs> so, on. The flight, about an hour into the flight for Southwest, we, the captain on the intercom tells us. So there's an issue with the plane. I don't remember if he was specific about it, but he said, we have to make an emergency landing. And immediately after saying this, banged the airplane in one direction by what felt like 70 degrees. Oh, Jesus. It. Maybe it was just my perception of just being told, hey, there's a possibility we may crash and then doing a really aggressive maneuver right after that. But anyway, we landed at Pittsburgh Airport. And I remember while we were landing that at the runway, they actually had. Fire trucks, and I think ambulances fi- follow us on either side along the runway. Which I think is Shh. a standard procedure just for... It
0: is, but yeah, that I already have an aversion to flying, so that would have set me off.
1: Yeah. And so we... I think at that point, it's about 9 a.m. or so. And... So we end up in this airport. This airport, by the way, at least summer of 2007. It felt as though there was just nobody using it. There were other flights there, but we barely saw people, at least in that wing of the airport, going on flights. But they had a food court with a Sabaros Pizza. And I had gone there myself just to buy some, but it turned out the air crew was buying everybody pizza. So I got them to just add my order onto the order for the entire group. Cool. But then they explained the situation, which was the hydraulics were not functioning at full capacity. and. They need to wait for basically load the parts onto an airplane, a Southwest airplane or otherwise that was going to Pittsburgh, which that aspect was going to take a few hours. And then the air crew in Pittsburgh would have to then install the parts on our plane, and that would take a few hours. And they were really cagey about the possibility that since the Pittsburgh airport at that time was closing at, I think, 9 p.m., they did not seem to really have a plan for what would happen if the airport closed. <laughs> they certainly did not explain, well, if the airport closes, we got you cheap rooms at the Marriott or something. It was just kind of, well... Hopefully, we can get back on in the air before the airport closes. Now, this airport, the seats have those armrests on them, which is, I don't know if this was the logic for this airport, but usually armrests in chairs and benches are an anti-homeless thing to prevent people from lying down. Yes. And so... I could not lie down in those chairs. And the floor felt as though it was, it somehow felt more solid than usual and was incredibly uncomfortable. At that point, I had been awake for 18 hours or so. I had been awake the entire way from Israel to... And I also think that I might have actually left At night in Israel, which I don't know how that lines up in terms of time zones. But certainly I think I was awake for much of the day before even getting on the flight to New York. And but I could not sleep at all in Pittsburgh. I just have. I just have a couple not very good video games on my Game Boy Advance and DS (laughs) And in pretty much just being hyper aware, incredibly tired, but that kind of tired where, I don't know how to describe it, but ultimately, they did get the parts, install them on the plane, and we actually left with, I think, 10 minutes before everyone was going to go home for the night. Jeez. And so... Uh, for the flights back home they comped all of the beverages and such I did not get any alcohol because alcohol doesn't agree with me Uh but I could have and then I arrived at O'Hare only about 10 hours later than I was supposed to initially and then I went home now I have a relative that actually got to do the entire trip and I asked her about it I mainly asked her about because I remember her just talking in the past about kind of the kind of the aspects of it that feel for lack of a better term a bit cultish. Yep. Bit where there's definitely the purpose of the trip really is kind of indoctrination. It's about well, to put it bluntly it's about getting a bunch of Jewish people that are definitely Jewish together and encouraging them to fuck. Yep. They talk a lot of, it. So, so she She talked about how one group exercise they did, where I think they had group exercises just every every day, and I only went to one of them. One of them, They would ask the group a question and have the group members go on either side of the room for yes or no. And the questions were all along the lines of things such as, would you be willing to marry a non-Jewish person? The thing (laughs) is, doing it that way, you get to see who said no or yes to that. And the whole point of dividing the group that way is to essentially just basically Most of the people there are probably going to answer yes, whether or not they feel that's what they would actually, well, would answer no to marrying a non-Jew, because that's kind of what they expect they have to do. And the whole idea of just essentially whittling the group down to where one person is the out person of that, and the whole idea of just having your peers just kind of staring at you in. Well, most of them are just kind of don't care, but certainly the tour guides are applying peer pressure there, and wow, just asking questions such as, is, w- "Would you be willing to raise them in a non-Jewish household, or a secular household, or a, or if you marry a non-Jew, would you be willing to bring them to Christian or otherwise things?" And, in, I mean, she was, she answered honestly, which meant that she was the out group quite yep. a bit. And then for the last day, when they bring all of the tour groups together, I think each tour group is about 30 people. Each tour group fits in a school bus, just a standard school bus. Yep. They, and they had the director of it, I think the director, basically give this entire speech. And the way that she imitated it seriously sounded like, I don't know, Nickelodeon game show host. Ah. I can't can't replicate it. But uh, just this old guy that's just talking to the entire group about the importance of procreating, bringing the population up on the Jewish, talking about how Jews are dying out and we need to combat that and all of that.
0: You're our saving grace. Now here's a whole bunch of alcohol in some rooms. No questions asked.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Condoms are provided, but they all seem to have holes in them or whatever. (laughs) No, I I think the trip was... um, I mean, everyone... Present would have been old enough to consent, but I think the trip highly discouraged basically actual sex just on Kind of a it would just kind of lead to uncomfortable situations. Oh, yeah, (laughs) but Certainly she said that basically the contact information I think or I forget the way she phrased it, but I think they said now, now that you've all been together, you should all get to know each other and Hey, maybe marry and have children.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Where? My, um, my friend was in a, uh, uh, um, religion. I forget what it, I mean, it was Christian, but it was the kind the, of the meeting like an office building and ever
1: uh, movement.
0: Yes. And, uh, he said it was very culty and they it was either 14 or 15 years old would start doing church dating nights where they'd have like all the kids in a room and basically highly encourage that they weren't allowed to date anyone outside of the faith so they might as well um, start hooking up within the uh group and it was really uncomfortable apparently
1: <laughs> sounds yeah. really
0: uncomfortable
1: yeah i don't think i don't know if birthright is quite that bad <laughs> Certainly, birthright is just a week-long trip, and then you can just be donors for as long as you want. Whereas, I mean, the quiverful movement is essentially the idea of we want to keep the religious right in power, which just means keeping Republicans in power. And the way to do that is to have more voters, and the way to do that is to have children. Yep. But, but anyway, that's kind of my experience and her experience with this trip. That's me, me just being kind of, I don't know, a sad wretch of a person that can't handle a single hiking trip and gets sent home early.
0: <laughs> oh, it sounds like it, sounds like it wasn't going to be a good time no matter what. Uh, but uh, I, I am amazed, you know, in a post-9-11 you know, still early 2000s flying world, I would have been terrified with the second leg of that trip, that Southwest flight. I've been involved in an emergency landing once, you know, nothing like that, but just during a windstorm we had to come down because it was really bad. And we got information after we landed that a couple of planes, like two-person planes, got like knocked out of the sky during the windstorm. And then we still had to go up in the air and continue on. And I, and that was around 2005, 2006, and I was not in good shape.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was, well, one thing I kind of discovered from just that landing and such, I actually discovered what my biggest fear is. My biggest fear is not dying in a plane crash. My biggest fear is barely surviving a plane crash. (laughs)
0: Yes, yes, I agree with you there completely. Um, so you had said there was more to, uh, when you first got to New York, you got to be a tourist yep. for
1: a couple of days. Yes, I did. So I stayed at a hostel, which actually had separate rooms. I mean, I certainly didn't want to sleep among strangers because I'm a light sleeper and snoring is one of the worst sounds in the world to me. Yep. So, um, I stayed at a hostel that was actually within reasonable walking distance of Times Square. And this, I mean, 2007, I don't know if he's still, well, I mean, not in the pandemic, but even just recently, I don't know if he's still present, but the singing, the naked cowboy was there.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's just tidy whities and he's has an acoustic guitar and yep. cowboy hat and I think cowboy boots. So I got to just witness him for a little. I didn't really interact with him, I don't think anyway. I, I, I met with that. a friend of my dad's, I think a colleague or former client or something who was living in New York and we went on a tour. Now again, me being a dumbass. I had thought, well, I can break in my hiking boots on this part of the trip. Oh no. Yeah. So about halfway through, walk I mean, we went to the bull statue and we're going to do some other things. Oh that lunch, we went to this one deli, which I don't remember the name of it, but it's apparently very famous. And possibly, but the whole gimmick was you would order sandwiches, but they would basically just put about eight inches of meat between two flimsy pieces of bread and no one ever ate it as a sandwich. It
0: was so good.
1: Yeah. And I got some roast beef thing, some beef product from that. And that was a really good lunch. But uh, we ultimately ended up going on one of those tourist trap buses where they have the person that's performing a script of just doing kind of your overly macho New York tough guy thing that probably was even dated back then, let alone now. (laughs) And But... One of the goals I had was I wanted to go to a Broadway musical, not a, a Broadway play of some kind. And Monty Python Spam a Lot was playing. Did you go? Yes.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't really enjoy it because it's the greatest hits of Monty Python sketches. Yes. And the thing is that I mean, just kind of seeing the same thing but done in a musical theater style wasn't really my jam. Yeah, And okay. I remember more... I mean, I remember being kind of disappointed by that, but I remember overhearing a conversation just to get a sense of how little the play stayed with me. I remember this conversation of just a dad and his son more than what happened in the play itself. huh. Where the topic of basically how to present for job interviews and such and the topic of shaving for that and said that you should uh, shave as close as possible to when you have to go. But, and the son just said something along the lines of, but uh, you get a really bad five o'clock shadow. And the dad said, well, they certainly didn't know that when I got hired. (laughs) But, but i i don't know if i phrased it correctly but i just remember i just find it interesting i remember that more than the play itself and i remember i remember so little about the play that when i got from the library the soundtrack to it it seriously felt like all the songs were new <laughs> One of the songs that they have is actually one where you can't succeed in Broadway if you don't have any Jews.
0: Yep. Yeah, I know, I know the play very well. I, uh, I had the soundtrack. I've never seen it, but the, the soundtrack cracks me up. So. Yeah. But you're right, it is basically just Monty Python's greatest hits, but sung by Tim Curry and <laughs> a few other people.
1: Yeah. I don't remember who the cast was for this. I don't think any of the Monty Python members were present.
0: No, probably
1: not. So that was my trip to New York and then Israel.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you have any more questions about...
0: No, it's just, it's it's, it's fascinating because I, uh, I mean... Most of the people I know that went had a very similar reaction to you. You know, it was just, oh, this is something my parents are making me do, or, and I, I just didn't know if there, you know, if there was a. It, it seemed your, your um reaction to it seemed to me the kind of way that it was. It seemed very culty, like you know, let's let's create this trip, and you know, obviously it could be a good vacation for some people, but it seems like a, hey, kid. That has absolutely zero connection to, you know, any of this motherland, you know, where you originally came from stuff. Let's stick you in the middle of it. But, you know, what are you really going to get out of that other than, okay, let's throw a bunch of people together and, you know, try to convince them to uh, uh, make more Jews. And it's it's weird. And you said, you know, the middle to upper class thing. It's weird how prominent all kinds of things like that are right. It doesn't matter what social circle you're in. It's just parents trying to thrust their kids at each other and make more versions of them.
1: And it's
0: it's a, it's a sickness. It's a problem, but, uh, it seems like your, um, your, you know, and and a lot of ours, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use air quotes, you know, social issues as, as they are. Um, Managed to dodge a bullet for you on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think you not know miserable. I don't know how he would have done the split room thing. Yeah, that just seems like that. That's designed to. That's
0: entirely you. That that that's poisoning a statistic. Right. The whole it, it's just looking at it and going, we know that the majority of people are not going to want to be the odd man out. So we're just going to peer pressure you into agreeing. And I've always hated stuff like that, the team building exercises that are that are set up just to get the answer that they want. You know,
1: yeah.
0: Ugh. Reminds me a lot of creepy youth group. I uh, so I because I went to Catholic school. And I don't know how this works um, in the in the Jewish faith. You could probably. uh, So to to get your bar mitzvah, is there like 10 or 15 years of schooling or like Jewish education you need? Or is it like a year leading up to it? Like, how does that work?
1: It's a year leading up approximately.
0: So do you need any proof of, you know, church going or temple going or anything prior to that?
1: Well, the way it works is that each of the bar and bat mitzvah kids will be mentored by a rabbi, or not, maybe not the head rabbi, but one of the lower rung rabbis, yeah. And and the it's based. I, I mean, my experience was probably different because of just special education issues, but yeah. Just that, I essentially learned by rote memorization the passage that I was supposed to read because for Bar and Bat Mitzvah, they have divided the Torah up into passages and each Bar and Bat Mitzvah, well, for non-Jewish people, Bar is male and Bat is female. But you dress up in... I mean, with the kind of towel looking thing and such, you walk up to the podium, you read your passage, which I think is about. I think it's specifically each passage relates to a parable in the Torah. I don't think it's arbitrary. And mine was about, well, fittingly enough, I think it was about. Yeah. Yeah. My bar mitzvah was so memorable. I don't remember the exact pass passage I read, but I do remember kind of the general area of it. I think I read the one where there Jacob tricked his idiot brother out of his father's blessing. Ah, yep. And
0: oh, man. and did you have to read it in Hebrew?
1: Yes, I just wrote, memorized it. Where there, I. Where I kind of just recognized enough of oh these characters together mean I say this rather than necessarily knowing the how the consonants and vowels worked. Right. Right. And I did not retain any of that.
0: I can imagine. Do Do you know like? Do you know like what the percentage? And it's probably you know different and all but like on the day you got yours i'm imagining it is it just you or is it you and like multiple kids getting confirmed you know because that's what in catholicism it's confirmation right getting getting your bar bar and bat mitzvah at the same time do you know like what percentage of them actually spoke hebrew
1: or is it just everyone's kind of doing the rote memorization thing at that point um Confirmation in Judaism is something that happens when you're about 18 or so, and whereas bar and bat mitzvah just kind of means, hey, you're, by our standards, an adult now. Yep. But anyway, it's weekly or approximately weekly, usually on the weekends, and it's usually a group of kids that each give their reading. And I had to also give a speech, which was, I don't know who wrote it, but I certainly did not write it alone about the meaning of it. And, And then, yeah, now that I think of it, I might have actually been the only one that gave a reading for that time just because the... We had a bar mitzvah party at the temple, at at the synagogue afterward. Yep. And I think it was a party just for me. So it might have just been where I was the only one that day, or at the very least. Yeah. If I had known I would be talking about my midst but i would have asked some people about it but... oh
0: no it's okay it, it you know stream of consciousness i just go places it it, it just it reminded me your, your talk about birthright reminded me so because i was in uh, catholic school till ninth grade and so we took religion class which was boring as sin no pun intended for elementary school because it was just memorization like everything else in elementary school right they didn't really know what they were teaching you so they just came up with, oh, this is you know what they do this time of year, but in high school in junior high, it became theology, which I found a lot more interesting because it was more like history than it was about you know learning passages from the Bible and what the priest does every day. so So I found that more interesting because it worked in you know other religions that were coming up at the same time and you know what things they took away and so it was it was very fascinating. but as soon as I got out. And you know, confirmation came along and it's like, okay, I guess I'm doing this because I did all the other sacraments. I had to start going to, um, youth group, which is something they made you do for like four years leading up to confirmation. And if you were in Catholic school, you were, uh, uh, you didn't have to go until the year before confirmation. So I had to go for a year. And let me tell you, there's, You feel like it's enough of a cult being an outsider that really isn't going along with it, but it's just kind of there. Then you meet the kids that are 14, 15, 16, 17 years old who actually want to be there, who are like, you know, the Kool-Aid drinking brainwashed type. That's scary. When you find like a 17-year-old that's been through some stuff and religion is kind of helped quote unquote them and you start hearing their stories. It's like I was waiting for one of them to ask me to like drink, drink poison and go fly away on a star with them somewhere. It was terrifying. And I'm very happy that I got away.
1: (laughs) Yeah. the yeah, the religious teenagers are just, it's just, they probably show up in horror movies all the time.
0: Yeah, and it's it, it's a bummer, right? Because I, or, organized religion scares me um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but there are definitely some people I've met in my life where the morals and belief structures, leaving out the political and you know people control aspects of it, where the stuff actually helps them. And I, if it's helping you, sweet. I you know to me the 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 fantasy and fiction and video games and things that I play help me. so if your you know belief structure and something and these stories and parables help you you know get over addiction or get over a loss or whatever, more power to you, but it's these teenagers, like you said, that haven't been through anything really in their life and are just locked into these archaic Uh, you know, made up things are, you know, give you grounds to like hate and belittle and dislike people. And to see them militarized by that is a really scary thing because they haven't lived enough life to really understand the words they're using and what it really means. You know, it, it, it starts kind of moving into the Hitler Youth thing. Where you're just like, oh no, <laughs> what are you doing? And uh yeah. It's
1: also it's kind just of scary. that it's also just that religion, as in the old religions, feels entirely antithetical to how teenagers usually act, where not to generalize too much, but most teenagers are assholes.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, that's not a generalization at all.
1: Where There It's just kind of the whole whole aspect of I want to stand out. I want to be my own person. And what that means is I will take no shit from anybody, (laughs) which usually just comes down to things such as, oh, I have a car now and everyone needs to hear the music I am playing, (laughs) preferably without... Preferably without putting any padding on my license plate. So every bass kick just rattles it.
0: Oh, God. It's good to see the teenagers everywhere are all the same.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got to just be really frustrated with the dorm halls at my college. Oh, yeah. Oh, Where yeah. One thing I wanted to pitch to just the college is an idea. Declare, I mean, they, there are about 12 buildings, I think, for Whitewater, including what was called the six-pack, which was just kind of these six buildings and one cafeteria that were just kind of a bit far away from everything else. And one proposal I had was we should separate the dorms into noise and not noise. Right. And They declare the six-pack to just be where, hey, if you want to hear five different people playing terrible techno music with bass turned all the way up and such, you can live there. But if you want to actually be able to sleep, you can live over there, there at the, the quiet dorms, and there will be a strike system where if you get three noise violations at the quiet dorm. You are forced to move into the loud dorm. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I did not propose that. I mean, for oh, my hilarious, for my first semester or maybe two, for my first sem- full semester, I actually did attend and lightly participate in just their kind of their. Essentially, their political thing that dorm halls have, where it's just, hey, you can learn civic management by just going to these meetings and talking about things such as, should we keep the old mural in front of the building or put a new one up or yep. whatever. And I had thought, well, this gives me access to some type of dorm hall organization. And I had thought, well, I'll draft up this proposal and see how this goes. And ultimately, I just never actually brought it because at some point I just fell off from participating in that. Huh.
0: It's, yeah, college was wild, man. Well, dude, th- it is always a blast talking to you, Alex. And we'll have to do this again really soon. And, and apologies for missing a couple of your messages back then i've got way too many emails and accounts to manage i think but no, um don't uh, worry about this, it no this was great and i loved hearing your story and i'm I'm glad you came with so much prepared especially with your sister's experience and everything too that's really cool or cousin was a cousin or sister
1: i just said relative because relative I mean,
0: sorry yep nope, that's i fine. just
1: uh, i mean just because of yep understood kind of some distancing in terms no, of, of
0: course, of course, people but that, I, haven't,
1: I, people I that really haven't necessarily agreed to be on this show. But. No, of
0: course, I, I really appreciate it. And I, uh, I got to get back to work, so um, I will give you a chance now to uh, shout out or promote or pitch or just say hi or do it, do whatever you'd like to tell the people. So go for it.
1: Well, I mean, this isn't really the most. Vital thing to talk about, but I feel as though everyone that has the ability to do so play Final Fantasy 7 Remake Yes, it's Seriously the first time in years that I just felt genuine strong emotion about pretty much anything really Yes, it's just just a moment in the sector seven slums where They're There I'm just going through there. They're playing the main theme and I realized just being able to look up at the steel sky Was just something that was missing from the original game That really drives in the visual metaphor of it And it was just kind of tearing up Just wandering through there
0: I agree completely It it, it couldn't have come out at a better time um, for And, and I, I'd say that to people that are playing it for the first time And for people that grew up or, you know, had their, you know, video game Awakening. It was like one of the first RPGs that I played straight through that wasn't, um, you know, the big ones like everybody knew about. You know, like I had played the Zelda games and, and you know, uh, I think one of the Dragon Quest games on the NES. But this was one, like I bought this and sat down and specifically played it myself. And to play through this remake and to see the way that they... They, like you said, added context and treated it with such respect to people that felt like they had ownership of it. You know, anytime I see a remake or a reboot, that's one of the things that I always worry about is how are the fans of the original going to take it? And this one was able to find a way to do it that both made it fresh and like returning to an old friend or an old house at the same time. And I, I'm just completely in awe of it. And it's a very, it's a very wonderful thing to play right now. Something to give you, okay. There's still some good out there, you know. There's still people that want want to entertain me and give me an escape, and
1: it was just wonderful. Yeah, we'll have to do an episode talking about it when you finished it because yeah, certainly I'm, I'm
0: close to done. So because
1: certainly the meta aspect definitely does deserve talking about.
0: Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. All right, well, I'm going to get back to work, Alex, and I really appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa.
1: Okay, I'll see you later then.
0: I'll talk to you soon, bud.
1: Okay, bye.